We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Blue Sand Roots Podcast. This is episode 211 of the pod. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Blue. So I'd like to announce to everybody that I had 12 golf balls richer on this very day. Matt Rooney, John Rahm is your U.S. Open champion. What a tournament it was. What a Sunday it was. We're going to dig into it all. We also got to talk NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs coming to a head here with tons of uh, intensity in tow. Uh, we will also touch upon the situation in baseball and some of the sticky stuff and said enforcement but first and foremost Matt how are you you know what I'm, I'm happy for you because as much as it pained me on Saturday and Sunday I was it was hard to not be in the John Rom camp rooting for the guy yeah no he, no, I was gonna say good 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 angle there were you did you at, at what point did you say all right I gotta buy a dozen golf balls because I want to root for this guy uh, I had, well, I didn't, I didn't buy the golf balls till it was over because I was, it, I wasn't going to buy them, have them sent to me, but I did. They've already, on, uh, they've already arrived. They've already I, I, arrived. I, I, right. Oh, well, Amazon prime, Amazon prime, my guy, there you go. I bought there them. I want to say, I, I think I bought them Sunday night. It was either Sunday night or right. first thing Monday morning. So let's, let's just get them out to Joe. Um, happy you got them. Uh, but yeah, right around, Ooh, Early in his round on Sunday, I think I texted you just hedged on a rom rom to win. It was at you the time it was at the time where Ustazen was still like even money or even minus one oh five. Rom was plus like four fifty. So that was for mm-hmm. me. All right, cool. Let's throw ten bucks on this. If if it hits, then I don't know, then I lose ten bucks. Or if it hits, I I, I pay for my golf balls for Joe. If it loses, I, I lose <laughs> ten bucks. Whatever. Just throwing yeah. that away. Uh-oh. Opens up birdie birdie uh, to get into the mix there. I'd like to point out two top ten finish for my sleeper in Daniel Berger uh, as well. So I kind of had this one nailed dead to rights, but uh, not to pat myself on the back here, man. Yeah, Jojo's never patted himself on the back. 121st U.S. Open, and it really felt throughout the week, even prior to the week with all the quarantine and the stuff that happened at the Memorial. I don't know. Have you ever been as – I know it wasn't your pick, but it was mine. Have you ever been as sure of a player at a – major like since tiger like have you been as sure of a player at a major bringing it the way that john rom brought it this weekend because it, everything just aligned and said it's gonna be john rom he's the odds on favorite they just sat him down and took a million seven mm-hmm. out of his pocket he's playing the best golf in the world right now then we get into the tournament he's playing great golf the putts aren't falling and it gets to sunday and that's usually the guy that you want like all of our statisticians all of our data scientists at cbs sports they say if you're going to make a Sunday play, a live play on the odds, pick the guy who's in top five in strokes gained tee to green, but is not in the top five in strokes gained putting because putting comes and it goes statistically. So you're wanting to find that guy who's hitting it really well and who has a putter that's just asleep, but we know he can putt. So mm-hmm. Uh, John Rom just fit every single bill this weekend and it all came to fruition. It was really exciting. Well, see, now I think I need like some sort of handicap on these bets because you're talking to data scientists and statisticians. I'm just using my brain, which we already know, like right. I'm behind the eight ball there. Like I got, I got almost nothing up there and I'm, I'm, I'm making my own picks here. You got Joe walking into the CBS newsroom, talking to a desk full of people. Who am I picking on the Moose and Runes podcast this week? And then I'm just sitting here. Well, uh, Jordan played well a couple of times. Let's pick him. 
Like picture when they walk into NASA and like there's this, yeah. there's this big room and a bunch of people behind control. That's that's me trying to put together a PGA. Tour I think you probably out. have one guy that's just dedicated as Joe's guy to ask. Uh, yeah, you got a Musso shout guy. Shout out to no, shout out to Rick Gaiman. He is our CBS Sports data scientist. Is the title that he goes by? Uh, lives in a palatial estate in Las Vegas. I'm going to reach out to him because because uh, because his. His numbers do not lie, and his picks are fantastic. I mean, the guy picks winners on the PGA Tour at a alarming rate. Uh, I don't believe Rom was his pick this week, but he was one of those guys that he was playing in DFS and and doing a, mm-hmm. on a, he was hitting on a couple other angles. But um, you know, just in terms of the tournament, Matt, you know, Tory Pines took a bit of flack uh, just for its you know for its lack of memorability, and we we talked about it in the lead up here that there's really no signature stretch, obviously 18 mm-hmm. and the history that occurred there back in 2008 is something that's like indelible. It's stamped in time, but to the point of Tory being a little bit um, vanilla for lack of better term, I, I was having trouble because most of the time we get to day four of these tournaments and it's like, all right, I know every twist and turn. I know every bump on the green. I know where you can miss it, where you can't. I, I can tell by the aerial shot what hole they're on. And I just couldn't, I couldn't grasp that at Tory. So I do think that while it produced an amazing leaderboard, while it produced a worthy winner and one we've been waiting for for mm-hmm. a very long time in John Rahm, I guess my question to you is what did you make of the test at Tory? I mean, clearly, if you look at the scores, the guys were tested. Um, I, I just, yeah, I mean, for right around where you want a finishing score. Of I just, I, I, th- I think for me, good. the most part, like the, the course just relies so much on the wind and then obviously them grow, growing out that rough as much as they possibly can, which I mean, to, to their credit, they did, but I mean, you talked about it. It's, it's just a little bit vanilla for me. There's not much like 18 is memorable because of what tiger did there. Like that, it's a great golf hole, but if tiger doesn't do what he did in 08, that hole isn't as you know, revered as it probably is. It's just, it, it was a fine tournament. It obviously created a lot of drama and we had some, some close stretches down the end, but it's not really known for any of like, like you're saying, these great stretches, there's no sig- 18 again, yeah. the signature hole, but it's not the signature hole because of what it is. I mean, you have that stretch of three and four, the par three, and then the, the par four back along the coast that have awesome views and stuff. Unbelievable. And it's also three and four. So like you're watching those two holes, then it's like, Oh, cool. Well now I just like Wait, 11, uh, 11 similar holes and then let's get to 17. Like it's a fine course. I, I'm just, I'm not sure I need it at us opens really all that often. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's just, and I, great, I guess for the, like you said, great for the farmers. Yeah. It's awesome cool. venue for the farmers, but do I want to see John Rahm and his exuberant fist pumps, uh, reflecting off a man-made pond? No, I, I'm, not, I'm not, not sure that I do. You know, I'm not sure that I do. And, and not to be golf snob because it's not about the course. It's about the players. But when we get to these, maybe no, it's partially it's about the course. Yeah, too. No, the, the, the venues are just as important as the tournaments that unfold on them. For some reason, Torrey Pines has really produced um, jam packed leaderboards and the way it was explained to me by, again, one of our good people, uh, our CBS senior golf writer, uh, Kyle Porter was telling me, cause I asked him the question between rounds three and four, like, what, what do you make of this tournament? Because it's a log jam. And the way you described it very acutely was uh, 
it's a 10 car pile up of Ferraris right now. Like it was 10 of the best play. It looked like the world golf rankings in the mm-hmm. leaderboard. And that's all you can really ask for. But that was, that was created out of a fact that Tory is vanilla. You know, it, it doesn't have like, yeah, bogey's lurking, but it's the U S open double and triple should be right there as well. And there, there just wasn't, there wasn't the opportunity for the explosion out there at Tory. Yes. It did penalize you if you were off the fairway, but the recovery, there were many options in recovery. And I think that kept everything very condensed throughout the week. Now we will talk about Bryson. And we his, did get a couple uh, explosions. explosion. Uh, we'll talk about Bryson. Bryson explosion don't explosion. count though, because those are all mental. Uh, I believe it was a 44 on the back. I, I'd love to see Matt Rooney's card at Torrey Pines on the South course and see if he got around either side. And I, 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 was sure 80, I was 89 at the South course. So I would imagine I was probably 44 I'm, on the back. I'm sure you outplayed Bryson on the back, which yeah. is hilarious to me. Uh, and, and Bryson comes I don't think I made any eights you know, either. You know, it was a shot here. It was a shot there. The guy was sculling hybrids off of the faces of bunkers. He was, just absolutely losing his mind. But I applaud Bryson DeChambeau for that 44 on the back because he, more than anyone else this week, with that 44, embraced the municipal nature of the United States Open. He goes, you know, this thing's going to open up to the public tomorrow. Why not get things warmed up with an eight? Because there's going to be a lot of eights made on the back here tomorrow by, by the layman. So applause, applause the pe- to Bryson Are we calling DeChambeau him the people's golfer? Really, Bryson the people's there golfer? There it is. There it is. For really embracing uh, the, the true nature of U.S. Open golf and, and the, the municipal nature of Torrey Pines. So, Rory, Rory uh, was, was right there with him. I think that was, what, 12 or 13 where he had the, uh, the seven? No, it wouldn't have been 13 because yeah. 13 is the par five. He had the seven because he had that – and I, it's hard for me to blame him. He had as bad of a lie in a bunker as I think I've ever seen. It, like fried yeah. egg right up like two inches away from the lip. And then he just sculled it straight right like into the rough again. That one was another – that was less bad, more on the actual lies he got than, than Bryson's just pure explosion. But we, we we'll, definitely we'll saw our that. share of sevens and stuff. <laughs> We'll get back to Rom in a moment here, but I do kind of want to talk a little bit more about that. We just mentioned Bryson. We mentioned Rory, um, Justin Thomas. DJ even sniffed it for a second there. Uh, Xander was hovering for a little bit. Uh, Louis, obviously, Mr. T2 himself, um, can't get the job done, can't close it out. Who disappointed you most this week? Because with less than 18 holes to play, I, I think most of those names that I just mentioned made the turn still in the mix, still with a chance to capture the tournament. Um, it's a double bogey for JT. It's a situation in the bunker for Rory. It's Bryson's whole explosion on the back. The kid almost holed out to tie for the lead. He was one off the lead after he tapped in that, uh, that little kick in at the mm-hmm. par three, 14th, 13th, uh, 14th, 12th. I believe. Four, okay. 13th so is the par five. Okay. So he gets to, yes, he gets to 14, almost makes an ace. And is within one shot of the lead with the birdie and then just loses. Who, who, who pissed down their leg, for lack of a better term, more than anybody? Like, who disappointed you in the way that they were unable okay. to press the lead? See, those things are different. I was going to – going into it, the, the biggest disappointment for me was my pick. But my, my uh, in ours was I, – I had Jordan. I, I Yeah, but – okay, but – In terms of down the leg, down the Sunday, stretch, I think it was – chances down the stretch because there were 10 guys who had chances. It was Rory for me, I think. Um, I, Rory was charging. Seven I think years, he, man. He had – Seven years. He had so many chances. The tournament was wide open. I mean, you were looking at the leaderboard – 
especially going into Sunday, he was in a really good spot. He was in, he was top, he was T fourth, I think, going into the tournament. The two guys up top were guys you knew weren't going to be there at the end. Credit to Mackenzie Hughes, he kind of hung around. Um, but he, he was in really good shape, and we've seen him on Sundays at majors where he's been out of it, put it put together some really good rounds and draw himself back into top tens, top fives, and kind of thought he was going to have that chance, and then just couldn't do anything with it on the back. The second he was into a good spot, you just saw him start blowing up, making big numbers. Uh, he, he, like everybody down that stretch until Ram on 17 and 18, he also just could not make a putt to save his life. And I thought that this one was shaping up. I think the course fit him well, was shaping up to just be the one that he finally puts it all together on the back with a chance and just didn't go out and do it. Yeah, it's a bummer, and that's what we've come to expect. Because, like I said, seven years between major championships and uh, Rory, um, I don't know, there's just a, a certain zip, a certain juice that his game is lacking here on Sundays. Xander a little um, bit, I, too, for me. I'm, I'm starting to get I don't disappointed. Believe, but I, don't believe, I don't believe in Xander. There's no disappointment. Well, I guess that's where – disappointment might be the wrong word. I'm, I'm getting to, He's starting to become, like, Ricky for me. Like, the, the talent's there, and you see him hanging around early rounds, and then – one or two things Xander, go wrong. Xander, and he's could just, have a, he's out. Xander could have a Xander could have a two shot lead with three to play, and I wouldn't believe it because he doesn't have the stomach for it yet. I'm not saying he won't have the stomach right for now. It he most certainly does career, not. Does not have the stomach for it. What we saw at the Masters with him putting that one in the water on uh, on 16. What we saw at the PGA with him, you know, sniffing it and going away. What we saw here, great. You're cashing checks. You're a top ten player in the world. You have the distinction now, likely by many, of the best player without a major, but you don't want to be the best player without a major. Ask John Rahm how the last three yeah. years have been. You know, he's cashed a lot of checks, but he's, he's carried that weight around with him. And now, you know, with him being the U.S. Open champion, that tarnished crown gets passed to somebody. Is it Xander in your eyes? Who is the best player without a major right now? Yeah, it's probably got to be him, right? The only I, other name no that, that comes to mind out. for me is – the only other name that comes to mind for me, like guys who don't have the stomach for it, but someday might and obviously have amazing game, Xander and Tony Finau. I kind of speak of those two guys in, in a similar ilk because, I mean, Big T's got every single skill in the bag. They have all the tools, yeah. machine. Just like, I don't know if it's between the ears or in his gut, but something uh, intangible is missing in those two guys' game. I'd say it's neck they're and both neck. Kinda la- yeah, they're, they're both kind of lacking the killer instinct. And I, yeah. I know you need to be calm on the golf course and you can't let their emotions get the best of you, but you also have to find the balance between being calm, being even keel and having the killer instinct to go put one 320 down the middle when you have to do it. Um, All right, just, let's, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I also had, speaking of that, I had one more disappointment. I, I, I know he's won his major, but it's pretty obvious. Louis Oosthuizen off the tee. Just okay, when, 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 it, when it got close, like you needed you didn't even need to be, you just need to be in the fairway. You just needed to play defense I mean, for the most part. And he couldn't do we, that. We saw he that was, earlier. He, didn't hit a, he looked like me off. Joe, earlier. I might've hit more fairways than he did <laughs> down the stretch of Torrey, And I never hit fairways. He definitely got the speed wobbles. We saw that earlier uh, in the season. I forget what tournament it was, where he was in the playoff and just absolutely bombed one on a straight line into the water. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember, but he was my biggest disappointment on Sunday. My biggest tournament disappointment, how Jordan was yours, JT was mine. And I know he had a fighter's chance there on Sunday. But yeah, but he was up there, but not really. Just kind of brief, brief flash up there and then kind of faded back, right? Yeah, he's um, there's, there's obviously something in the way of his game, and I would never say that it's a killer instinct, but like there's just a – 
there's like always a loose screw or a bolt that needs to be tightened that's uh, preventing JT from like what feels like running away with these tournaments because you know he does things week in and week out. It's like oh man, that's when he's got it all together. I think he's the best player like, in the world. He just doesn't yeah, always have like he almost never guys, has it together. There's only like three guys in the world who are capable of doing that with a golf club in their hand. Like just go just go do that all the time. Um, if only the game were so easy. So he's my week-long uh, disappointment. But, yeah, Louis my my Sunday disappointment because I got to the point where, yeah, I'm rooting for Rom because I got a dozen golf balls on it and I want to see this guy win because, you know, it's this story of, a, of, of the, the Spaniard who's emotionally charged, who's never been able to get it to the clubhouse doing it. But at the same time, I had feelings, I had feelings for Louis. I had opened my heart to Louis after he makes that eagle on 18 on Saturday. I'm like, I'll oh, just do it already, Louis. Mm-hmm. Like just, th- this is it. This is it. That's, that's the moment. Tiger eagled 18 on Saturday in 08. You just eagled 18 on, on Saturday in, in 2021. It's all, it's aligning. You've been, you've been contending. You've been right around it. Um, I opened my heart to Louis and he's just Mr. T2 uh, cut and dry. And, you know, no, no disrespect to a $1.3 million payday, but I'm Good sure he would have wanted his, his second major championship. And frankly, I mean, not frankly, but statistically, his second win in his PGA Tour career. He's only won once on tour, and that was uh, the the Open Championship, I believe, that back in 2010. That is insane to me. I did not crazy. realize that was a stat. Just crazy. He's, he's, he's no always up win. there. He's literally always yeah. up there. I, I think speaks he's to having, kind of what we're saying here. His one win was what was at the Open Championship when he ran away with it. It wasn't close down the stretch. He won that by like four or five shots, if I remember correctly. Like It wasn't even a close are, one. These are, no, it was not. These are two huge ifs. If he wins last Sunday at the U S open. And if he gets one of those other, you know, close calls earlier this year to the clubhouse. So if he has a regular win and a major championship, he's your player of the year this year. Like that's how well Louis Eustace's played. He's just been unable to um, finish things off. So yeah, definitely some disappointment there. Matt, you mentioned emotion and I want to go that direction to get things back here to the champion and John Rob. Sure. We've maligned. He's been much maligned over his emotion and his, grunts and we did see some frustration earlier in the week a couple missed putts shorties that uh he let out some guttural grunts but then on 17 and 18 he knows the task at hand he's mm-hmm. down he's one back of louis Ustazen stays with two to play he knows he's got to post a number because louis standing on i think it was 13 t or 14 t at the time like he's, he's gonna have to sit there and wait a while he makes the putt on 17 that was maybe had a 10 feet of break in it. It was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Great it was putt. an 18 foot putt with 10 feet of break in it. Side doors it, big fist pump. Steps up to 18, hits the shot he needs to. But then the second shot, the approach uh, into the par five, does the only thing you can't do, lets it leak right into the greenside bunker, short sides himself. John Rahm standing in that bunker, downhill, down grain, everything running to the water. What did you make of the decision to throw it way out right? Because at the time I thought, okay, this is an emotional player who's making a really, really judicious decision. And not just judicious, but like overly careful, the angle that he took out of that bunker. What did you make of that decision? Because at the time I thought, man, is he costing himself the tournament here? Is he, is he standing here and, and saying, I'm going to let someone hand it to me. I'm not going to go win it. That's how I felt when he pitched out sideways out of the bunker. You know, I, 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 it was the smart and obviously looking back on it now, it was, it was the right decision. I mean, when you have, when you're where he's at in the bunker, when you have the green, everything feeding down to the water, you, 
it's not like he chipped out and gave himself a 40 footer. He chipped out and gave himself a 20 footer, which is a makeable, it's a longer putt, but it's a makeable putt. And if you like the line, if you if you like the line from where that's at in the green, I mean, it had to go into factor in, you know, he has walked that green, played that green. He knows where he likes putting from. What's a, what's a good angle for him to make a putt. I think that probably factored into it as well. It's like, Hey, I can be a little bit safer here, stay out of the water. And I know that line. I like that line. We're going to go with that. Um, I did think my first reaction was, man, he's, he's going way wide out there, but I don't know. I, I think even at the time I didn't, I know what you mean. Like he tried to go, he didn't try to go win it. He tried to make sure rely on Louie not winning it, but at the same time with what we've seen him doing in the past with how getting over aggressive with water around can really mm-hmm. mess you up. It was the right choice that it was the and, same and thing that, for me. Go ahead. That, I was say that's what's so applaudable for me because he has grown so much in the last so much. two years in between the years. Like I, I, we've talked about last week how, uh, you know, my, my main concern with him now, if I was, I didn't really bet the tournament until the live bet, but if I was betting the tournament, I think a ROM top 10 would have been, he would have been the first guy I would have put money on for a top 10. We were talking yeah. last week, you know, when you picked ROM my, in my brain, I was like, well, you know, ROM my one concern with him was like, how's he going to handle last week? How's he going to handle getting pulled from Memorial being up? Is he going to come back all pissed off, overly fiery, fiery, emotional, and kind of blow up a little bit like we've seen him do in the past times? Mm-hmm. And he didn't. It was out of sight, out of mind. It was gone. It was in the past. It's like it never happened. He just went out and played his game. Where you know, two years ago, he might not make the cut this week. I mean, he is grown so much in between the ears. And now that he's gotten to that point, I mean, he has – the best skill set to be the best player in the world right now. Yeah. And he is very much number one, number one in the world golf rankings uh, has grown immensely. I agree with you because standing in that bunker, I think, you know, he, he's well aware of the situation. He knows where Louis stands. Um, he knows Louis got a going to have a crack at this birdie hole. It's played as the easiest hole throughout the week uh, at 18, but I think he's acutely aware of the fact that if he takes the line at the pin or even a little to the right of the pin, he could lose the tournament in that yes. moment. He, he was making he sure he didn't lose, lose the tournament. Couldn't lose the tournament throwing it out right. And that is a business decision that I did not expect from John Rahm. I expected him to try and like hit a spinner that just like stops at the hole. And um, I, I was so amazed by that sort of um, growth in his game mentally and then even further amazed by the fact that he just jars the thing in the heart and gives us the best moment on tour this season, gives us the best fist pump we've seen he's in a really long time. He's got the best fist pump since Tiger. And he's, he's got, got the, and what is, I don't know what it is about 18 at Torrey. We could, we, could we could give the course a hard time, but we've had a couple of, had a couple badass fist pumps. Well, that that uh, is what's... The second hole of those tournaments. That's the... I know we've, we've ragged on Torrey a little bit. Not We called it a bad course, just kind of a plain and vanilla course, but... That's what that course does well is it's, it's 18th hole is I think the easiest hole on the course, if I'm not mistaken, like it has your challenge. It has your risk reward, but it is such an eagle, eagle or birdieable hole that it, it kind of takes the averageness, vanillaness of the rest of the course and creates that drama on 18 that uh, everybody wants every tournament, every week. It, it every, the tournament wasn't over until Louis teed off on 18 because everybody's like, well, he eagled it yesterday. He's still got a chance here. Like there's still a ways for him to go that there's still a path for him. And that's what that course, I guess the, the one thing that I think it does yeah. really well, it, it gives you that chance on 18 that, that anything can happen because you can't get too over aggressive and play with the lead, go in the water, or do what Rob didn't go in the sand. 
It's uh, just, hat tip and a, it's a great finishing hole. We'll give it that. No doubt. No doubt. Hat tip and a golf clap to the USGA for setting up uh, a really exciting tournament there uh, that kind of gave us all of the things that we want in a U.S. Open down the mm-hmm. stretch in terms of the way that the tournament played out. Um, Matt, any parting thoughts here for, for the 2021 U.S. Open before we move on? No. Um, uh, my streak of having played major championship courses ends next month at, uh, at, at uh, St. George's. No Royal St. George's for you? No. Actually, when we went over to Ireland uh, and, and England a couple of years ago, it was between Portrush and St. George's, and we played Portrush. I mean, you got to have that foresight because – this is the end of what, what, what people were going to call the Rooney slam. Well, in fair, I, I had, I still have played the last British open course. Uh, can't, can't count it. Can't count. I think we can, yeah, but I then can. the wraparound. So that, yeah, that was like the tiger slam. So yeah, yeah my, we'll call it been, I haven't played Augusta, obviously, but I've been to Augusta. So that counts. We'll give you, we'll give you the Rooney slam. Uh, Matt, always a blast breaking down uh, PGA we're golf, golf with you. We, we moved to the Travelers Championship this week. Uh, any sharp picks? Because I'm really, I'm, I got an outright on Harris English because uh, Papa needs a new pair of shoes. So I, I'm trying to stay hot here and pick another winner. Uh, take it Harris English this week. Um, I'm going to go with DJ. No other yeah. reason. I, I think he, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think he won this last year, right? Um, like 28 like under or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he kind of had a little bit of a turnaround for his year last year too. Here, I'm just I'm going to go with DJ. I just it's it's a pretty easy course. It's a pretty scorable course. There's not going to be too much for him to think about other than just see ball, hit ball, and I think that's what he does best. So yeah. I think he's also going off at like plus fourteen or fifteen hundred, which is a little bit higher than you'll usually get him at. So uh, give me DJ just for no other reason than it's DJ. Going to give him a shot. I like it. Um, Take us any direction. Dealer's choice here. What what playoff intensity are you are you most uh, dialed into at this moment? I you know I, I want to say I'm pretty much evenly tied in, dialed into the playoffs, which is unusual for me because I don't mm-hmm. think I've been this dialed into an NBA playoff series since LeBron and Steph and the the NBA Finals the last time they played. Like I just. I know it's not the the NBA's paradise and what they wanted in terms of markets and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of unpredictability, like I am incredibly dialed in on these NBA playoffs. I've never been more would interested. You, I think would you we say, to conference finals. Would you say that these NBA finals are the Tory Pine or these NBA playoffs are the Tory Pines of NBA playoffs? You know, not the playing surface we're looking for, not the teams we're looking for, but man, the, the tournament, the tournament has borne out well. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a fair that way to put it. I mean, we don't know. It's it's actually it's not that bad of a comparison if you just came up with that off, off the top of your head. I mean, go, you. golf clap for Joe. Um, mm-hmm. That was it's. We don't have necessarily the the established star power, the yeah. super team around that we're used to. But like I've told, I've said it a million times. I'm all for the unpredictability on the in these NBA Finals. I don't want to know what the NBA Finals matchup is before the playoffs, the series start, and I truly don't know what's going to happen in any of these series. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure Milwaukee's going to beat Atlanta in four or five, but like, would it shock you if Trey Young went off a couple you know, times Atlanta, and made a series and yeah. the Bucks reverted back to doing what the Bucks do? Like, they're not this established super team or anything. They we've seen them crumble in the past, so nothing here would surprise me. I'm all in for any of the possible matchups out of these four teams. Um, but give me Atlanta, give me Phoenix, just because I want to see that number to see how many true basketball fans 
are really out there. I know that's not what the NBA is looking for, but at this point, like mm-hmm. um, Bucks aren't going to rate much higher than the Hawks. I don't think either. So uh, I, I'm really excited to watch these last couple weeks of the season play out, depending on when you're listening to this last night was game two of the Western conference finals uh, with the Suns uh, capturing victory from the jaws of defeat there with a beautiful DeAndre Ayton alley-oop from the corner passed by Jay Crowder was unbelievable. The screen by Devin Booker was unbelievable. The call by Monty Williams, unbelievable um, to get the job done there in game two and put the Clippers into their, their third O2 hole of these playoffs. They fall down O2 to the Mavs. They win in seven. They fall down O2 uh, to the Jazz. Jazz. They win in six. Or no, they went in seven there. They won in six in Dallas, or vice versa. No, first, sure. they won in six versus the Jazz. They they, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they fall into two O two holes. First team to come back from those depths in the same playoffs in NBA history. They now have to do it a third time. What sort of chances do you give them? Like, is this like, is this a, is it a little boneheaded to say, hey, got them right where we want them type scenario? Because that's kind of what Paul George was saying at the podium last night. In as many words. It's. The Clippers can't be saying we got them right where they want them, but I, I think it has to help knowing that you, you can draw from recent experience being able to do it. I also think you're not necessarily facing the same beast you faced off with in the, in the last couple um, couple of rounds. As, as good as Utah is, there was a formula to beat them, and their coach kind of found it, just go ahead and play small, and then that's kind of what worked out for them. Mm-hmm. Phoenix is, I, I think, the best team that they're – they, they've gone up against and they delete at the very least the team playing the best right now. And I would have to imagine they'll get Chris Paul back at some point. So falling down and granted they're without Kawhi, but falling down Oh, two to a team playing out with playing without not their best player, but kind of their, their floor general, their leader um, that, that, that can't be comforting. Yeah. I don't care what you say at the podium or what you need to tell yourself. You, there's some doubt back there. Yeah. Shout out to campaign for, Filling in a career high twenty nine uh, in game two, and he's done a really, I know, right? He's done a really great job in the absence of Chris Paul, uh, really stepping up to the moment. And DeAndre Ayton's emerging. I think that the Suns. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of uh, trying to convince myself that they're the best team remaining, but I, I, I kind of think that the Bucks are at this point, and that pains me to say it. I, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not bought into that brand of basketball of just Giannis running downhill and trying to either pick up a foul or dunk it because he can't shoot. Uh, you have Chris seen Middleton, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton. He's Chris picked Middleton, it up. Not the most exciting player to me. Drew Holiday. I like his game. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I was rooting for Brooklyn pretty. Uh, pretty. I was too. I wanted to see KD that, just because series. And I mean, we haven't spoken since the end of that series. So I mean, KD hits a turnaround to force overtime. His toes on the line would have been the game. Then they go to overtime and just can't find anything. Um, state of state of the Brooklyn Nets right now for you, Matt? Because for me, I, I really think that this was like when the Heat got together year one, and now they made it to the finals and they lost to the Mavericks. But um, I think this was their Mavericks moment where they had to kind of come together get slapped in the face once and they're going to come back next year and just it's hard for it's hard for for me to even say they got slapped in the face they just got the as bad of a case of the injury bug as you could james harden came back and credit to him he was clearly playing through something he was not himself he still tried to come back Kyrie, i guess probably couldn't that that ankle injury did not look good and if you're on crutches you're you're probably going to be out for a little bit um but 
even KD, their best player was a guy who was, you know, playing his first season removed from an Achilles injury. And he pretty much almost dragged that team to the NBA finals or uh, Eastern conference finals by himself. So I, I don't want to call it a Mavericks moment because I think in that moment, like the Mavericks just flat out beat the heat. I, I think in this moment, the Bucks did a very good job of taking advantage of a hobbled team that from what we saw in games one and two, were just not nowhere near as good as um, yeah. I, I think we saw that the Nets were the superior team. And then once the healthiness went away, um, they were able to take advantage of that. I, I think the Nets will be back. I, I think they should and will be heavy favorites to win it all next year. And they're, they're the closest thing we have to that super team that we've, we've seen yeah. in the years past. Uh, Matt, let's take the talk of the ice here uh, because we have plenty of NBA action to come. We are in the Stanley Cup semifinal. Did you have the Lightning minus seven and a half in game th- uh, game uh, five? I did not uh, ah, bet bummer. that alternate line, uh, but yeah. that's the slapping that they put on uh, the Islanders seven zero in a pivotal game five. Uh, they now uh, look to close things out here on Wednesday night, but. Uh, Exciting action on the other side of things, too. Montreal takes a 3-2 lead over um, Vegas. Vegas. Matt, what did you make of, of Pete DeBoer's decision here? Because game three, Flurry lets the puck in, misplays behind the net, goes through his legs, sort of just the turning point, not only in that game, but in the series. That force overtime, they lose mm-hmm. that game. DeBoer goes to Robin Leonard, the former Hawks goalie, in game four. He stops 27 of 28 pucks in a tightly contested game that Vegas goes on to win. And then in game six, excuse me, in game five goes right back to flurry. And I don't know. The the, the thought process is you ride the hot hand and maybe he doesn't want to get away from his starting goalie because if Leonard goes out there and plays really well again, well, okay, this is our goalie for the rest of the playoffs or until he has a brain fart of some Mm -hmm. sort, but flurry comes back in and lets up three goals on 25 shots. and, And now you're, you're down three games to two. You lost a pivotal game five that history tells you when tied to two and you lose game five, you you're in lose trouble. The series 79% of the time. You now have, you now have a 21% chance to win the series after losing that game five. It was honestly, for me, it's a fireable offense. If they get eliminated, yeah, they, so, right? they are, I, Again, all the credit in the world to Montreal. They're playing great hockey. Carey Price is maybe the best player in the world right now. He's playing that well. Um, the way they've responded to some adversity, I mean, it's it's been great. They came back against Colorado, but they were down to, oh, kind of had nothing to lose there and just went and played freely and, and ended up winning the series. Like the way they've responded to adversity, the way he's responded to adversity, like it's, it makes no sense to keep flip-flopping goalies. It's not like Flurry played bad in that game three loss it was to Montreal. Like, and then you, if you do go to Leonard and then you win with Leonard and then you go back to, like, it's a great way to lose the locker room. It's yeah. they, it's also a great way to lose your goaltenders. And it goes back to the old quarterback adage of if you, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't necessarily have one. If you have two goalies that expect to be starters that are good enough to be starters, you have to worry about that balance about not losing either guy. And it appears that he might've lost Mark Andre Fleury a bit, little bit when at the first sign of trouble, he went to Robin Leonard at a start. And I know he keeps saying he's trying to conserve energy. It's not the first time he's done that this playoffs, which I, I think it was off a of back to back. He didn't want them both playing, but the, the way he's handled energy, these goals, dude, you're standing, you're standing well, in the crease. Like, no, in terms of, I, no, I'm I'm, well, that's, no, I was taught earlier in the playoffs into like, I, I know it was 
they had a back to back. And I think with the way, the, the way he handled is he wanted one of each to play one of those since it was a back to back. I get that. This one, I, I'm, I'm saying I don't understand it in this concern. Um, sorry, my volume just went out on a, on a video on ESPN.com. That was weird. I had it in my headset. I um, I, I know it was, it was just in mine. Um, but it, it's, it makes no sense to go away from the guy that's gotten you where you are. And Mark Andre yeah. Fleury for most of the year, for most of the playoffs was after Carey Price and Andre Vasilevsky, probably the best goalie standing the way he was playing. Um, and it just seems like since the day Robin Leonard's been there, they've been kind of trying to force Leonard in over Flurry. I just, I, I don't really get it. Um, and if they lose this series, it's not all because of that. I mean, their power play has been putrid, and, and that's kind of what lost the momentum in Game Five. But it just doesn't make sense to me the way he's handled this team, this goaltender, and the goaltending situation. If I'm Vegas and they lose in six to a far inferior Montreal team, no offense to them, no offense to the way Carey Price is playing, but Vegas is a very good hockey team. Montreal's just playing really well right now. Um, I think you have to look elsewhere for a head coach. Uh, Cole Caulfield, uh, he's good. I, as I outlined, he's fantastic. But um, I, I'm not to, again patting myself on the back. But he's this is the this is the Nikki Papa Giorgio. Uh, he's underage, but absolutely dominating the strip. Like mm-hmm. that's 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 Cole Caulfield right now. He's he's Mister Papa George, Mister Papa Papa Giorgio. Uh, I pull the lever, I win a car. I pull the lever, I win a car. That's how things are going right now mm-hmm. for the Canadians. And I'd love to see Montreal as a representative here. In Honestly, the, the NHL, Cup I think would final. love to see Montreal in there yeah. because that's going to help their ratings battle more than Vegas and, and Tampa. Yeah, when it's going to be, I don't know because, because Montreal, you're going to get all of Canada, but can't, but Canada doesn't rate. It's not, no, that's true. You don't, they, they don't, uh, I don't believe enough. that they measure those homes. So that would probably be the worst thing for the number, but um, I, who cares? Uh, you know, who cares? Um, I, I just want to see good games. I want to see good finishes and I want to see Cole Caulfield dancing and, 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 and dicing up defenses and doing if, what he does at, at five foot two. If people didn't learn it from Alex to bring it, I hope they learn it now from Alex, from Cole Caulfield to stop shying away from the five, seven, five, eight guys that can score scoring yeah, translates, especially in today's NHL, you can be a tiny guy and still score. not that physical scoring translates. Anymore. It's you don't yeah. need to be six foot two. Neither of those guys have gotten really hurt for the most part either. Uh, Matt, before we go here, we got to talk about a little state of the union in baseball, and we need to. Uh, what do we do? You need to check. Do you need to check me? Do I take uh, off my yeah, hat? Yeah, I need to check you. I need your, my shirt's off. I need your hat. I your shirt's your, already off. I'll take my okay, belt. Mine's off. I need okay. your gloves. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's I just it's flashed a crazy scene right now. For for two weeks, or excuse me, for two days. The last two days, they've been enforcing. Uh, the stop and frisk rule, if you will, uh, in Major League Baseball. Pitchers getting random checks with their glove, their hat. Uh, we saw an ugly scene unfold between the Phillies and the Nationals last night, which – Oakland, too. Uh, in Oakland as well. But Max Scherzer uh, gets checked back-to-back innings, random checks, quote-unquote, and then the following inning, Joe Girardi asks that he be checked again, which is scummy by Girardi. Um, is that a said, thing him, too? Can the manager do that all the time? I didn't think so. I didn't think you could well, essentially challenge a player, but that's what he did. And the umps abided by his, his request and Scherzer got rightfully so pissed off because he was he taking his hat off, going to his head to try and get a little bit of moisture from his hair because he was sweating. And then you work the rosin bag and there you try and get a little grip on the ball. That's not a competitive advantage. That's, 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 that's the rosin bag and that's sweat. That's what you're, that's what you can do now. That's the extent of what you can do now. And it's just, regardless of who's asking what to be done, this can't last. 
because no. it's an absolute sideshow. It's like a TSA check every other inning for these pitchers. And yeah, you got to clean some things up in the game and um, you can't overcorrect and have guys get injured the way Tyler Glass now did because he's gripping the ball too tight. There's, it just feels like they're solving one problem to go Vegas vacation for a second time here. Not Love Mr. It. Papa Giorgio, but when Chevy Chase Great has movie. a leak, has a leak at the Hoover Dam and, and mm-hmm. he's chewing up the gum and he rips it and he puts a piece of the gum to stop the leak and that forces another leak. And then he stops that leak and that forces another leak. It's, baseball is fixing one leak to create two more. Um, and I, I just, it just feel like they're stepping in their own shit again. And uh, I, I'm here for all of the sideshows that it's creating here for the next week. But, man, am I going to get tired of this quick? Yeah, see, the Vegas vacation scene that popped into my head was when he tries to go back to the Cousin Eddie's Casino to win back all his money, and he's playing war mm-hmm. and rock, paper, scissors, and heads or tails. Yep. But either way, same logic here. Um, no, it's it's just it's a result of what we've seen is just a completely reactionary commissioner. He doesn't really get out of, in front of anything. He waits till things boil over and then overreacts to the way too far end of the other side. And we'll probably, like you said, we'll probably this, this frisking isn't going to last all year because there's going to be such an outrage that something's going to have to change there. And if it doesn't, then I'm very excited for the first, you know, two outs in a bottom of the seventh of a playoff series with runners on set first and second. And somebody orders Max Scherzer to be frisked or something along the lines of that. Cause that's going to turn out really, really well. But you've just seen with Rob Manfred, everything is just about overreactions. I mean, everything is about not thinking things through, not going through all the pros and cons and coming to what is the right decision for everybody just, well, this is happening. So we need to do the exact opposite now because it's not right. It's, yeah. it's, it's a problem. And I don't know how baseball corrects it with this commissioner because we've seen he's pretty incapable of correcting mistakes. And it makes me terrified for the labor negotiations coming up after this year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just another example of baseball. Um, Getting in its own way. Creating a problem by not enforcing a rule. They knew steroids were happening. They knew sticky stuff was happening. Now they want to go hard line on it and – Guys it's, are gonna get it's hurt. really Guys are like gonna get pissed. your solution is not a clear cut one. It's just a, it's, it's baseball. The that, problem is I, baseball. I think the solution for most of it was fairly obvious. It's like, Hey, some of these guys are doing it. Okay. Some of these guys are using spider tack, which is a problem. We need to get that out. The solution is, Hey, this is our sunscreen and rosin combination, whatever. This is what you are allowed to use. Yeah. This is what you're allowed to use. If you use anything else, if we suspect you of using anything else, we're going to launch a full ex- expectation. This is what we are going to provide for you. This is how we're going to work the balls before the game. This is it. You cannot use anything else. I don't care if it's less or more tacky. I don't care what you like. You get sunscreen and rosin. That's it. I, I don't see how that's like, we came up with this in five minutes. It doesn't seem that difficult. Yeah. Uh, there's even been a directive for, players in uh in night games and in indoor stadiums to not wear sunscreen that's like the, the league is going that far they're telling people when they can and can't wear sunscreen so that's good that's i good. don't know good it, it, it's made for it's made some for some funny content uh, head on over to my twitter and take a look at uh how we said goodbye to the show a night ago is good stuff did you take off um, your shirt but we, we we got a little we got a little we got a little stop and frisky for sure oh, i like that don't want to don't want to ruin it. I'm trying to drive traffic here, Matt. I'm trying to see so there's a notification. I'm trying. There's a notification right there. 
try to drive traffic. Cool whoever's guys got followers. This, whoever's whoever's listening to this live, which is not even a somebody somebody snuck do. into the Zooms into the Zoom <laughs> meeting. Uh, Matt, what do you got before we go? Because I got no buyer sales. You got anything? Yeah, I just want to bring up the uh, the Arlington Heights proposal move for the bear. I, I don't even know how Syndicator I want to phrase Staley's? it. Buy or sell the one, the likelihood, and two, whether you're into an Arlington Heights move. Um, I'll, I'll give a scale of one to 10 on both of those things. Scale of one to 10, uh, buying that it's going to happen, it's a huge move. And it's a building project that'll take the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. And it is the relocation of a franchise that's only existed in really since Wrigley Field, one place, you know, that that's been the site of Chicago Bears football on the lakefront. And I just don't see it changing this easily. So I'd put it at a two or a three on level of likelihood. Um, what was your other, what was the other angle? Excitement? You, or would, you, would you like it? If would, the Bears announced tomorrow, they're, like they're going to Arlington Heights, would Joe Musso be all in on it? Um, nothing really nothing really great has happened on that site other than the Fenwick Friars win over the uh, Lane Tech. Oh yeah. Big they? win. The, were they the Indians? I think they were the Indians. Have, that's problematic. They had a sense change that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's problematic. Um, Lane Tech. The win over Lane Tech. That, like, not, a, not a whole lot has happened on the lakefront in our lifetime. Um, so is a fresh start and, a, and an Arlington stadium, what this team needs, what this franchise needs. I don't know. I, I was a lot more against it maybe two months ago when it first came out than I am right now. Um, I, I've, I've opened myself up to the possibility of it because the team's obviously opening themselves them, mm-hmm. themselves up to the possibility of it. Would it really be the worst thing in the world to be in Arlington, to have a beautiful new stadium uh, in, uh, in Arlington Heights um, that maybe has a retractable dome so we can host, host Final Fours and we can host Super Bowls and we can highlight our beautiful city uh, for what it is? I don't think so. Um, would it be a change that we'd have to get used to as Bears fans and a major one at that? Yes. Um, would it be weird to not go tailgate on the parking decks before the game and make that mile and a half walk through the maze to get to the stadium? Yeah, be different. Uh, would it be better or worse? That I haven't really come to, come to terms on. I think that would be uh, largely contingent on the stadium that they put there. But um, does it – okay, here's what matters to me. Does the fifty-three man is the fifty-three man roster good enough to win a fucking Super Bowl? Pardon yes. my language, but that's okay. that's where I'm at with Earmuffs. Chicago Bears football. Let them play on the moon. Let them play in Arlington Heights. Let them play on the lakefront. Let them play on Matt Rooney's rooftop. If they are good enough to win a Super Bowl, I'll be wherever they are. And that that's my feelings about Chicago Bears football. What matters is the on-field product. And if that's coming first, if this franchise is worried about that product before anything else then I'm on board as a Bears fan. But uh, will this... Will this help will the this... Bears get closer to a Super Bowl is really the, no. the only question. I, it, no, but, it no, won't. What I'm but saying... Will it make them further away from it? No, it no, won't. That's, also, that's, that's kind of why that. we're both a little bit indifferent towards it. I think in terms of location, in terms of the actual stadium, yeah, it'd be it'd be sick to have a state-of-the-arm, not as big as Jerry World, but Jerry World-type stadium that, that we can go to and not have 61,000 seat soldier field the smallest stadium in the nfl it would be nice to have that but like again it, it what it comes down to for me is is the team good enough to win if if they're good enough to win they could play at ryan field and in, in northwestern and i'd be fine with that yeah. too um also but, uh, completely aside here and i'm not sure if this is factually correct but 
it would have to be the shortest tenure for a stadium um, for current Soldier Field. Like current Soldier Field been around for what? Since the, like the, the update was 2003, the update, I think 2002. Oh, yeah. When did they lose to McNabb in the playoffs? I, I want to say that was 02 or 03. Yeah. So this stadium's what? 17 years old at the oldest. What's because like, they did that, a half-ass job remodeling. Yeah. That's a short run. That's, that's a short You've remodeled the stadium and the still size. kept it the smallest stadium in the NFL. Yeah. Dodger Stadium has 5,000 less seats. Yeah. Um, you're a big Dodger Stadium guy now, huh? Oh, you, speaking you of that, goes, can, I, can, I air a quick, and, can I air a quick grievance? Uh, yes. Before you air your quick grievance, we will have another stadium review coming up on next week's Moose and Runes podcast. Uh, I'm going to the Yankees-Royals game on Thursday. Check in out KC? my boy, Nicky. Or Yankee. Check out, no, at Yankee Stadium. Okay. Uh, yeah, because, you know, that's 30 minutes away. Kansas well, I, I didn't know. Probably, sometimes, I don't know. Kansas Joe, City would be roughly a It's the summer. Sometimes people take vacations. I'm going to Yankee Stadium for the first time to check up on check out my boy, my boy Nicky Lopez. I just Lopez. went to Dodger Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, what was your point, though? No, I have a grievance. Uh, we talked about it last week on the pod. Wish I hit the music. Hold on. I'll hit hold the music. On. Hit the music. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. No. You're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind? I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Last week, we talked about how awesome it was to have, how for me to have a girlfriend that likes going on these trips and seeing all these new baseball stadiums. She goes this week to Pittsburgh. I don't get a She goes to see PNC, the Sox play. She goes without me. I didn't get a phone call. With, with the team? No, so, not with the team. Just a personal. Yeah, you know, we're gonna go. All right, because because we saw some we saw some Rick Hahn selfies. Yeah, going she's on. going. She's hanging out with Rick Hahn. She's seeing Tim Anderson and Billy Hamilton out to lunch. Like I'm thinking, wait, I'm where's, thinking she's on the team flight. She doesn't get that treatment, but like you know, come on. I I, I Pittsburgh's one of the, everybody says it's like a top five stadium in baseball. I want to go see Pittsburgh. So that's where we're at. We balance things out. Last week I say she's the best. This week it's like, come on, invite. Okay, okay. So now we're we're, we're go, we've gone bad. Uh, I'm just uh, kidding. Just kidding. Please don't be mad at me. Please don't get mad. No, but this is the true test. Say something mean an hour into the podcast, and and if she brings it up, you know she's really listening to the podcast. So it's test. We're just we're just laying we're just laying breadcrumbs out here uh, to 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 do nothing but bolster your love and your relationship. Exactly. Thank you, Joe. You saved me from myself. Uh, Do you have anything else for the people before we get in trouble with your girlfriend? That is all I have for the people, and I love them and her very much. All right. Uh, I think there's no better way to close than that way. As always, thank you for listening to the Moose and Runes podcast. This episode 200 and something of the pod 11. I think who knows? We're going to do another one next week. And that's all that matters. For Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. Be well, my friend. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome.